Good morning, baseball fans, and welcome to episode 39 of the Morning Round Trip Podcast. My name is Drew Frank, joined once again by my co-host, Liam Crothers. Hello and good morning. And here on August 18th, our top story came out of the Indians camp, and it broke shortly after we released yesterday's episode. Jeff Passan has reported that the Indians players are divided and largely unhappy with the actions of Clevenger and Plezak. Largely, the article claims that the players are unhappy with what they chose to do leaving the hotel, but some players are more upset with the way they handled it and the lack of remorse they showed than the actual actions themselves. Plezak went on his Instagram Live and basically justified it, said that he felt it was being blown out of proportion, and that action seemed to have ruffled more feathers than the actual breaking of curfew itself. Lefty veteran reliever Oliver Perez said he was going to opt out if they brought back Plezak or Clevenger immediately this past weekend in Detroit. And there was a bunch of other players that were unhappy. Francisco Lindor was named as one of them. And he's a guy that's seen as one of the core members of their clubhouse, core member of their franchise for sure. So this could be a sticky situation for the Indians to try and navigate because of course on the field they want these two guys back for their baseball product as soon as they can. We also saw a report from Ken Rosenthal that some teams are pushing hard for the MLB to allow them to get fans in their seats as soon as possible before the season ends and hopefully into playoffs. The Rockies are one of them, the Rangers are one of them, and right now the MLB is saying no, hold on, wait, because... The country is still struggling with the pandemic, and many of the places that these MLB teams play are not allowed to open up yet. So even though the state of Texas, Colorado, maybe a few others are allowing fans, the MLB, as of right now, is putting a pause on that. We saw three prospects called up from Detroit. Top pick Casey Mize was called up. He will debut tomorrow. Tariq Skubal also called up. The lefty starter will be going today. Mize tomorrow and Paredes as well, an infielding prospect as well has been called up. Three additions to this Tigers team that should make an immediate impact as they sit right around the 500 mark. And two injury updates out of the Padres. We mentioned Kirby Yates on two podcasts ago, but we didn't know the severity quite yet. It's been announced that he's likely done for the remainder of 2020. Not a good sign there. And as well, another big blow, Tommy Pham likely out for four to six weeks with his broken hand. That Tommy Pham injury is big for the Padres because, you know, we talk about, oh, four to six weeks in the scope of a normal season. That's not too bad. You're going to get that guy back about maybe a month, a month and a half after that injury, and there's probably still baseball to be played. A month and a half from now, the regular season is pretty much almost wrapped up, so... This really hurts if you're the Padres, especially because you had just acquired him from Tampa Bay and Hunter Renfro, who's right now in Florida with those Tampa Bay Rays, he's perfectly healthy and he's doing good things for that Rays ball club. So this really, really stings if you are the Padres. He will join the Padres towards the end of September and towards the beginning of September, DJ LeMahieu will rejoin the Yankees. We heard that timeline also announced yesterday around two to three weeks for him. 
So they'll have to cover, but with the way Clint Fraser's been hitting and we saw Luke Voigt yesterday, that team shouldn't have too, too much to worry about. And Bobochet, we're not fully certain about the timeline yet, but after his x-rays and examining his knee, he has a grade one ligament strain, which the team deemed relatively minor and are expecting no long-term impact. So all he needs is time, no surgery, no operation. And right now they're working on a rehab plan, but he's probably going to be somewhere around probably between LeMahieu and Fan, maybe four or five, maybe six weeks, depending on how cautious they want to take this. But the takeaway is that you can expect to see him back before the end of the year. As a result of Bichette's injury, the Jays have had to shuffle around their lineup a little bit, and it's been paying off so far. Last night, the Jays took down the Orioles 7-2, and Randall Grichik moved up to the number 2 spot, has continued to look very nice up there. He was hitting 3-4-5, somewhere around there earlier on. But now up hitting right behind Biggio, he drove in four runs yesterday, including a three-run shot in the fourth inning. He had an RBI single later on, finished two for five on the day with those four RBIs. And really, when you win a game 7-2, that three-run shot from him is going to make a big difference. That was the eventual winning run that he drove in. But on the mound, the reason Baltimore only had two was Hyunjin Ryu looking very strong. Went six innings, only allowed four hits, just one run, and zero walks. Now, if we looked at Ryu's starts earlier on in the season, few walks in Tampa got him in trouble, walks in Washington got him in trouble, but zero walks, to me, seems like a very good sign from Ryu. Hyunjin Ryu is not a guy who's going to overpower you with a dominant fastball. He's going to pick the corners with change-ups and get you to swing and miss or roll over weak ground balls. And speaking of weak ground balls, Hyunjin Ryu only surrendered one hard hit in this game. That's a ball hit over 95 mile an hour, and that was to the Orioles catcher in this one. Now, you mentioned Alex Cobb. I don't think he performed terribly in this game, but it's really tough to go up against a guy like Hyunjin Ryu when he's firing on all cylinders like he was in this one. Cobb's line produces six and two-thirds innings, eight hits allowed, five runs, one walk, and four strikeouts. And you mentioned that home run to Randall Grichik ended up being the decider here. But I thought both bullpens looked good, which is really, really good thing to see for the Jays because this is a bullpen that has had a lot of question marks around it the past couple of games. You had that absolute marathon in Buffalo against the Marlins a couple of days ago. So it's good to see that the bullpen is going to be able to hopefully take this performance and move forward with it. Hopefully they're going to be able to build off of this strong, strong outing from their bullpen arms to try to limit run production because ultimately that's what you need your bullpen to do. And Cobb for the Orioles, not great, but I think kind of what you expect from him at this point, just the one mistake really cost them. This team, I think, based on what we've seen so far from them, needed some more offense. They've got five guys in their lineup that are hitting over 300 so far this season, and they combined to go 2-for-15 last night against Ryu and that bullpen you were talking about, just unable to get it done. The other AL East matchup we saw was between Boston and New York, and I took Boston believing that Perez would be able to outduel Montgomery, but this game ends up going to the Yankees 6-3, to and really, I thought this was basically over in the fourth inning. It was 3-1 Yankees, as Perez got touched up early by a home run from Voigt, and it was 3-1 when they went to a rain delay, 
and you look at the Yankees bullpen, you look at the Boston bullpen, and especially with a lead, when you're trying to cover the last five, six innings, basically, like I said, knew it was over. We saw Voigt go off yesterday. He had a second home run later on. But something interesting from this team is the whole Yankees team, despite putting up six runs, only had five hits. And those five hits came from three guys, and they were all extra base hits. No singles in this one for the Yankees. Hicks with a double and a home run. Voigt with two home runs. And Tyro Estrada with a home run. Just a bizarre offense. You throw a rain delay in there. Everyone's off kilter. Maybe you can expect it. But interesting, weird game last night from Yankee Stadium. And that rain delay you mentioned lasted over an hour. This game I was watching on MLV Network, so I was I had it fired up, and I went to go do something else. About third inning, I came back, and it was the fourth inning, and I was very confused as to why that was happening. This rain delay really threw things off for both teams, I feel like. Uh, Montgomery looked good in the innings that he was able to get in in this one, and like you said, Perez got touched up early, but nothing... I thought that looked, you know, overly questionable. We saw the return of Aroldis Chapman for the Yankees in this one. He was activated early on Monday after a bet with COVID-19, so it's good to see him back. Uh, stuff still there, still reaching triple digits like we expect him to do night in, night out. Uh, a really just solid win all around for the Yankees. Or if you want to look at the other side of the coin, a really sort of disappointing performance from the Boston Red Sox. And that's kind of been the narrative so far this year for them. One of the closest games of the night happened at Chase Field yesterday as the Arizona Diamondbacks walked off the Oakland Athletics. Both teams coming in with win streaks, but only the Diamondbacks one stands to see another day. They've now got five wins in a row. And this was the Zach Gallen show. Went seven innings, only allowed three hits, but they didn't get their first hit until the sixth inning. He had a no-no watch going until then. He didn't allow a base runner before that until the fourth inning. That was the only walk he would surrender in that fourth inning. Strikes out eight. Great start from him. He actually sets a National League record with 20 starts in a row to start his career where he's allowed three earned runs or less to this day in his entire MLB career with both the Marlins and the Diamondbacks. He has never seen a four or higher spot in that earned run column. Just crazy to think about how long that is for a stretch for a pitcher that's new to the league and inexperienced. Zach Allen was very, very impressive, like you said. But on the other side of the diamond, I don't think Chris Bassett necessarily had a terrible game in this one. He did struggle with some command issues early on, but he was able to right the ship, worked himself out of a bases-loaded situation. This is what you want to see from both of these guys. You know, The Arizona Diamondbacks send out their young arm in Gallon, and... The Oakland Athletics, as they always tend to do, are able to get production from uh, players both young and old. Sort of the the land of misfit toys that Oakland team has been for the past couple of years. Guys who don't really fit in anywhere else, they're able to shine in Oakland and then they earn themselves paydays in other places around the league. This Oakland team is probably one of the hottest teams that baseball has seen in the past couple of weeks. So a very, very impressive job here from Gallon to shut them down. And Bassett, a little tough luck that he was pinned for three earned runs. The first one, a solo shot by David Peralta, absolutely crushed. He deserved that earned run. But the next two, 
both of them came on ground balls that maybe you thought a little unlucky that they were both driven in on RBIs. The last three runs of the game for Arizona were actually driven in on ground balls as the final one to walk it off was a ground ball between the first and second baseman. But either way, Arizona comes away with it and push their record above 500 and continue to make some gains in that National League West. Now around the league, something I was surprised to see Corey Seager and Kyle Seager played each other for the first time in their careers. They've both been in the league for quite some time, but I guess because Corey was hurt for those years, he might have missed the series. Either way, it was their first time facing off, and they both hit a home run, so that's kind of neat. But the ball seemed to be traveling all across the country last night. There were nine two home run performances. We talked about Voight earlier. Fernando Tatis had, I guess... A controversial one in a weird way. First off, he had seven RBIs going two for five. Pair of home runs, scored twice. It was part of a blowout of the Texas Rangers. With those two home runs, he moves into the lead in home runs in the MLB with 11. Also in first place in both runs scored and RBIs. He has been red hot. But here's what I meant by controversial. He apologized in the post-game press conference after hitting his grand slam on a 3-0 pitch because they were up 10-3 at the time, and conventional baseball rules say that's kind of piling on if you're swinging 3-0 and stealing bases and doing all that stuff when you're up 3-0. Rangers manager Chris Woodward said that he didn't like it personally. He says, you're up 7 in the 8th inning. It's typically not a good time 3-0. It's kind of the way we were all raised on the game, but the norms are being challenged. You mentioned he said that that's the way we were being raised. Fernando Tatis Jr. is 21 years old. He's the youngest player to have a seven RBI game since Ron Santo did it back in 1961. Got to turn back the clock for some old baseball wisdom there in terms of what Ron Santo was doing and what Woodward is thinking about here. Let the kids play. Tatis is a lot of fun to watch, and I mean, when you're in pursuit of the home run crown in the early season, I don't really have a problem with this. If you don't want to give up a home run on a 3-0 count, don't throw a gimme pitch. Yeah, Jace Tingler said after the game that he had given the take sign to Tatis 3-0, so clearly this was uh, felt on both sides of the dugout, this unwritten rule, the respect for it, but... Either way, the very next pitch was behind Manny Machado, so the Rangers clearly were not happy with his choice to swing 3-0. I don't know. It's it's. It, I think it's silly as well. I think there's not really a, a, a place or a reason for it. But we saw all sorts of other two home run performances. I'm just going to run through the list because there are so many. Cano and Alonzo on the Mets both hit two out. Brad Miller and his... Part of the Cardinals' hot start, he hit two home runs. Evan White and Luis Robert both had their first two home run games of their career. And definitely not the first for Nelson Cruz in his career. He hit two outs. And Tim Anderson as well. Nine players. Man, not something you see very often at all. Luis Garcia only hit one last night for the Nationals, but he became the first player born in the 2000s to hit a home run. He gave the Nats an early lead, but eventually 
They were walked off by Dansby Swanson. And we'll jump into our predictions for tonight, starting, like we said, off the top with a Major League debut of a top left-handed pitching prospect, Tariq Skubal for the Detroit Tigers going up against the Chicago White Sox and Dylan Cease. They play tonight at 8-10 p.m. Eastern. Who do you got in this one? 23-year-old left-hander Skubal. He's going to have an interesting go of things. A lot of these guys that the Tigers called up spent barely any time in the AAA level, if at all. So it's going to be interesting to see what he does up against a guy who isn't exactly an old man as Dylan Cease takes the mound for the White Sox in this one. Personally, I'd like to see Scooball start off his career with a strong performance. I'm going Tigers over White Sox. Dylan Cease hasn't necessarily been the most consistent pitcher for these White Sox, but he has been good when he's been good. And this is a White Sox team that hits lefties pretty well. So I'll I'll take the White Sox in this one. I feel confident that the bats will overpower him, but must-watch TV. I'm tuning in to the Tigers basically all week, which is something I was not expecting to say very often this season. Cincinnati and Kansas City play tonight as Cincinnati returns to action. They had all negative tests once again yesterday. So Luis Castillo will take the mound against Brad Keller. I've got Casillo. I think the ace here is going to uh, outclass Brad Keller, and hopefully Cincinnati's bats can still show some power after their time off. Luis Castillo is sporting a line that is a little bit deceptive. He's 0-2 with a 3-9-1 ERA, but I mean, his stuff moves all around the zone. He's got one of the most wicked change-ups in the game today. Brad Keller on the other side for the Royals in the innings that he's pitched so far this year has been good. But at this point, I think I know enough to pick the team that's coming off the layoff in order to help out my prediction percentages. I'm going Cincinnati over the Royals. And finally, in more interleague play, the Padres continue their series in the new Texas Rangers ballpark. It's going to be Adrian Morhan against Mike Miner. Battle of some lefties, one very inexperienced and one that's been around the block a little bit. This is an afternoon game at 4.05 p.m. Eastern time. And I think this Padres team continues. They showed all sorts of offensive power last night, and we know they hit lefties well. I've got Padres in this one. Morejon, the 21-year-old from Cuba, will be making his season debut in this game for the San Diego Padres. Pitched in five games in 2019. His ERA, not too impressive. He pitched eight innings in total. But I really like the way his stuff moves. I like Adrian Morejon a lot, and I'm going to go with the Padres over the Rangers in this one. That'll be it for today. Thank you for listening, everyone. We hope you tune back in tomorrow. We'll be back bright and early as we are every single morning to bring you the latest news and updates and predictions about the MLB. My name is Drew Frank, and for Liam Crothers, have a great day, everyone.